elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 361. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross, Ross Jedi Jay, and as always, it is so wonderful to have you here with me in the Smoking Pod studio. As always, we find ourselves in some trying times, kids. I've been away for a while, and things have gone nuts. Uh, I, I got started on a three-con tour, and then I had about five cons lined up, and they all vanished. Uh, due to, of course, the coronavirus, COVID-19, taking over society, shutting us in. I hope everybody's doing okay out there during their uh, quarantine slash self-isolation. Can I say something? You can say whatever you want. COVID sounds like a basketball player. A basketball player? And 19 can be like his jersey number. Absolutely. Obviously sitting with me right now, uh, the one and only The Bean, a.k.a. Laser Dex, a.k.a. Kylo Dex, a.k.a. Kylo Sheep. Ladies and gentlemen, my boy Declan. How are you, son? I feel like a sheep right now. Why do you feel like a sheep? I think sheeps feel good, so like I'm a sheep right now. Okay, so you you, you think sheeps are chill and enjoying life, yeah, and that's I how th- you feel right now? I think the sad type is a giraffe. So what's the nine-year-old perspective on the coronavirus? Is it scary? No, it's a yay. It's yay, why? School's off. School's off. You don't think you're going to get bored eventually? Bored of doing math? Well, we did have you doing math today, which is a good thing. We've got to keep your brain sharp, right? We've got to keep That's you edu- educationable. That's a bad thing, because if it cuts my head, that could go on some big injuries. What are you talking about? How did we just go to head injuries? What's math's going to cut your head? <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, we're all going delirious in here, kids. I hope you and yours aren't going too delirious. I know I've seen some wacky things online happening, but uh, I'm incredibly proud and encouraged and uh, uh, so overwhelmed with the staggering amount of support that I see this community giving each other. The entire nerd community is 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 getting their geek on together online. Uh, so much <laughs> live streaming, uh, so much online content being shared. Uh, people are just wanting to communicate and keep from going nuts, and I think it's uh, it's beautiful. I've seen some absolutely amazing stuff, and the way you creators are supporting each other right now, holy jeez. Uh, thank you to all the creators and fans out there who supported the Source Point Press Live auction. There's going to be another one coming up, and then probably another one because it was so, so cool and uh, very successful, and we appreciate all the support. Um, also, right now at SourcePointPress.com in the web store, tw- I believe it's 25%. Um, of your purchases will be donated back to your local comic shop or gaming shop. And I mean yours specifically. Uh, look for details at uh, sourcepointpress.com doing their thing to help support the community as long as as well as other big publishers have done as well. So it's it's cool to see everybody come together in this really, really weird time when we just don't know what's going on. I wish I could just be nine years old and not care and just be happy that I'm not in school. Uh, I get to continue working because my day job is considered an essential service. Yes. Uh, I'm keeping the lines clear out there. 
um, from all the falling tree branches so that you all can continue to f- Facebook and play your Fortnites and, and stuff like that and your Minecrafts and your Roblox. You right? are an enemy to Mr. Beast. Why am I an enemy to Mr. Beast? Because you cut down trees and he planted 20 million trees. I also plant trees and mostly take care of them, okay? Listen, I'm, listen, also I'm not just M&E. out there cutting trees down all day, man. I care for trees. I'm a steward of the environment. But then I'm an enemy. No, you're a good boy. I use paper. But that comes from trees. No, that's actually, there's paper farm. There's tree farms for paper, and a lot of paper isn't even made out of paper anymore. So don't you worry about that. Um, My whole life has been a lie. <laughs> parts of it. Parts of it you'll discover. They, they, they always seem to pop up, son. Uh, I'm going to bring you a little something, something, uh, I've been behind, uh, there hasn't been much. I had all these cons. I was going to do all this podcasting and they all went away. So I've got to come up with some other stuff, but I got some really cool ideas that I think I'm going to bust out very, very soon. Uh, but for now I didn't want to leave you completely hanging during this time of need for content. Um, and I got some really, really cool content recently. I was privileged to host my very first panel at a C2E2. Wow. Not my first panel ever, my first panel at C2E2. It was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, and that was the panel for Rotten Tail, uh, how a comic book turns into a movie with David Hayes, the writer-creator of Marvel Rotten Tail. Marvel did it better. <sighs> gotta, gotta be a smartass, don't you? Don't you? Yeah, you I'm, a, I'm a smart donkey, snicker. boy. I'm a smart donkey. Um... Yeah, so anyways, and of course, Travis McIntyre, who was the publisher and executive producer of Rotten Tail, we had a panel, and we talked all about turning that book into a movie, and I recorded that panel, and I'm going to bring it to you now, give you a little entertainment. Uh, If you happen to be a Rotten Tail fan, this is going to be extremely interesting uh, for you to hear. I actually, I thought I knew everything about the tale of Rotten Tail, and I did not. I actually learned a lot. Uh, wow. hosting this panel that's so like, that's like you know you listen listen okay mm-hmm. i didn't ask you to sit there just to to bust out smart alecky comments and noises okay i was gonna say all something right just to be ridiculous do you have something do you have something intelligible to add to the conversation basically what you saw um you learn more about rotten tail that's basically the time dark crystal was released but then after there was like three novels three mangas about it about Dark Crystal? Mm-hmm. And you have to read them to find out what, like... You're comparing the fact that Dark Crystal was made into comic books. That's kind of opposite, though, because Dark Crystal was no, originally I'm, I'm a saying, movie. See, look, you didn't know... Stop uh, touching your mic like okay, that. You didn't know that much about Rotten Tail, and no one really know that much about um, Dark Crystal, but then, like, both, like, you learned something... You learn something by the multimedia, you oh, mean? So there's something I you want. You can read the comics or watch the movies and learn something different. There's Absolutely. There's something I want from the Dark Crystal. What's that? Uh, out there, there is a baby naked gen doll, and I need it. Why do you need it? I just need it. Why is it naked? Remember that bath scene? Oh, you want the bath scene, Jen. Mm-hmm. You're an odd child, my son. I want to cuddle with my you okay? <laughs> People are going to think I'm raising an insane child. Um, and I probably am. But hey, that apple asylum. don't fall far from that tree, does it? Anyways, that's what we're bringing you to you this week. We're bringing to you uh, the tale of Rotten Tail as told by the creators themselves and the producers of the movies themselves, Mr. David Hayes and Mr. Travis McIntyre, live from C2E2. I'm going to see you kids real soon. 
We're going to bring you something awesome. But until then, please enjoy. Uh, so, Ron Tail, I've been fascinated with holiday horror films, like for the longest time. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night is like one of my favorite films of all time, and it's a Santa Claus a slasher movie from the 80s. And uh, the idea of flipping things on their head and tradition and, and, and violating tradition really appeals to me. And uh, Easter was incredibly underrepresented in terms of horror or spoofing or uh, any kind of... Uh, 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 film or even book or anything in terms of taking Easter and turning that into some sort of horror story. So we actually developed this idea in 2002. It's really flipping old. And uh, started to try and shop it as a film for a while and uh, no one liked it. No one thought it was a good idea. Everyone thought it was just a dumb plan that we had. And uh, I eventually took the idea and we uh, scripted into, into a uh, graphic novel, a 60-page graphic novel script, and then I found Kurt Belcher in the early days of Deviant Art. He's the artist on this. And uh, between our spare time over the next four years, we put together this 60-page comic book, just uh, bits and pieces, and uh, it uh, you know tells the tale of a geeky uh, fertilizer, uh, infertility researcher, uh, Peter Cotton, he's working on rabbits. Uh, the government wants his uh, serum so they can develop rabbits, soldiers that can breed in the field. He gets bit and he turns into the half-man, half-mutant rotten tail and goes back to his hometown of Easter Falls to exact vengeance on his childhood billies during the Easter celebration. And it, it was a lot of fun. So if you look at the comic, um, budget constraints meant it's in the black and white. Uh, if you catch me on a good day, I'll tell you it's black and white because that's you know how people view the traditions, man. It's good and evil and black and white. But really, we didn't have any money, and uh, we published it ourselves. Maybe ten copies that just stayed those ten copies for for years because no one bought them. It just was horrible. And then uh, Travis uh, uh, started Source Point Press in Michigan, and I was living in Michigan at the time, and uh, he was looking for uh, IPs. And I said, I got this. And he said, your cover sucks. <laughs> and it did. So we switched the cover up to, this is the movie edition, to this. So everyone can see show and tell. That was the original cover, and it just started to move. It, uh, we had a better logo, uh, the cover was great, and now it just started to move. And we didn't have any uh, real distribution on the book uh, for the first few years, and we ended up moving how many units at that point? Like three years in? Uh, I don't, for by indie comic standards of a graphic novel, it sold extremely well, probably in the 4,000 range. Just uh, seeing people chose. Through distribution and then it shows, yeah. And it was, uh, it was an amazing turnaround from a property that no one wanted before. And then uh, uh, the rest I blame on you. Yeah. For, so, for wanting so, to turn this into a film. So, okay, well, so you're at the point and yeah. the book is out, it's done well. Dave, you have a history in the B movie industry. <laughs> You've got a little know of what's going on there. Right. B, B yeah. with B is. B is generous. Yeah, B is generous. Yeah. So. D. Oh, Z. Z? I mean, just why? Start low. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, films like Bloody Bloody Bible Camp that no one's ever seen. But oh, you should that one. That's actually that's pretty good. Actually pretty good. And, yeah, just a horrible. I made a bunch of horrible movies over the course of uh, the years. Uh, but uh, 
I was friends, I had produced a film called Blood Moon Rising, and I was friends with a man named Brian Skiba. He was the director of that, and that was his first film. And uh, we were with the same representation management company, so I introduced Brian to Travis, and uh, Travis, against my better judgment, was hell-bent on making this into a movie. When did that spark first occur? When did you have the first thought, hey, you know what, this could be a movie, I should make it? Uh, well, it started, so we, um, <laughs> we, the, the, it actually, so it came out, it's a black and white horror indie comic, right? Um, and it's one of our first graphic novels. So it came out and it did quite well, uh, surprisingly well. And it continued to go, it got into its third printing and it was doing well. And by then uh, we had grown enough to, you know, now we had a stable of IPs and some of the, smaller, uh, I don't want to say Hollywood because I'm making it sound fancy. <laughs> uh, you know, we're starting to like poke around and uh, Rotten Tail, uh, there was an option, it had been optioned. So what an option is, if anyone doesn't know, is that a production company will pay you a certain amount of money to basically that they own it and they're gonna, they can then do something with it. And if something happens and you get more money, but. So this is this is the first time you know that uh, that we had anything to do with that. And, I, and if, if I remember correctly, we we ended up having to wait for that to run out, right? Yes. Yeah. So essentially, it, it just languished around and did nothing, um, which is what happens to like ninety nine point six percent of all options. Um, <clears throat> it did nothing for about a year, um, and for me, uh, I'm I just don't really do well with that sort of thing. I'm I'm very like, well, fuck this. I'll just, do, we'll do this ourselves, you know? Um, because there'd been some work had been done. Um, mm -hmm. I met Brian. Brian and I got along on a personal level really well, like immediately. Um, and there was already a script in the works and all this stuff, and we'd already talked to certain people and, that we knew we were going to need uh, to make the film. And then when the option ran up and it, it reverted, all the rights reverted to SourcePoint, um, we just decided to move forward with the production anyway. So essentially, um, I drained uh, my entire retirement account and uh, maxed out all my credit cards. And um, it's like Kevin Smith style. Yeah, but without the, the end part where he got it all back. Well, it, that took time. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and then the company, the SourcePoint, funded uh, a big chunk of it. And then uh, I had a few friends came in for. Um, I don't know, around 150,000 of the end. So we put together the budget. We put together a pile of money. Um, and then uh, we had a script, we had a stuff, we had special effects, we had the team. Um, and we had a little pile of money and we took it all up into the desert of Arizona and uh, we set the pile of money on fire and it burned for 16 days. And at the end of it, we had a, a movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, you know. Prometheus, or no, uh, Phoenix from the Ashes, sort yeah. of thing. So uh, the the cool part is we got a lot of things along the way that were pretty badass. Uh, Todd Tucker came in, and uh, he was uh, the special effects guy on uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And so he did the bunny design and made sure that most of the effects that we did on this were practical. So it feels just like an old school 80s horror film. The, the, the film is set in the 80s. So we kind of wanted to have that feel. And we absolutely needed the bunny to work in close-up and we needed to work far away and the actor needed to have to emote through it because if we look in the, the graphic novel um, 
it's a it's a tortured little love story uh, where this this young man's pining away for this woman at its core, and we had to be able to see that. So uh, that was one of the biggest coups. Well, that's a Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. So, cast wise, mm -hmm. this film stars Corin Nemec. Yep. Of Parker Lewis Can't Lose fame and Stargate Atlantis. And uh, did some supernatural work. And some supernatural. And lifetime films. And that's important well, in a that moment. That is important. Yeah, in a moment that it makes it'll make perfect sense. <laughs> um, explain then. How does well, how does that so, occur? So uh, our director Brian Skiba was working in a lot of lifetime and Hallmark movies, and you're gonna see our main cast is really kind of derived from that world of uh, former TV actors that have now moved on to Lifetime. So Corin Nemec as uh, uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, uh, Billy McNamara, who he was everywhere in the 90s, and uh, Dominique Swain are our three leads in this. And so Brian knew them from the Lifetime Hallmark era. Right. Yeah, yeah. He just so, was like, hey, you want to? Yeah, you want to come out and not do, a, not do a Christmas movie? <laughs> well, that's fun. So you go through that process. You've got this movie in your hands. Mm -hmm. Then what? There we are. Now we're into the, the, to, to the your money end, the distribution era. Um, yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, after, well, once Prince Photography wraps, you know, you have probably eight months of post-production that goes on. Um, you know, you're going to do all of your additional dialogue recording. Uh, you're going to do all your special effects. Digital coloring, score, right. score, all the remastering. Um, you know, uh, Twisted did the soundtrack. The hip hop group out of Detroit. Um, you know, they gave us their final tracks. We'd lay them in. Um, the film went through uh, from the assembly cut to the final cut that went into. It didn't do a short theatrical run. So the final cut that went into the theaters. I think I watched eight different finished. Right. Um, so it went from at the longest, I think, uh, 134 minutes down to 96 minutes. I think is the runtime that it's that it runs now in the DVDs. Uh, so there's like a long process of sort of winnowing it into like the strongest possible version of itself. Right. Um, you know, and then um, it comes out and it did fine. We had a. We had a, a pretty successful little like, mini theatrical for an independent film. And it was in April of 2019. April of 2019, yep. Um, and then it came out on DVD, and it came out digitally, and it did all that stuff. Um, I mean, it's done fine. It's been... Did you... Know, you we uh, kind of made it as a, to show we could. Right, right, right. right. And it, since then, you know, it has kind of accomplished what we needed to. We have two other projects in pre-production. I mean, once you've made a, a movie at all, like a lot of doors start to kind of open because people are like, you tried. People you did are like, yeah. Yeah. well, they're like, oh yeah, you did that thing. That sucked, huh? Well. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as the hard, whole experience, so well, that's what I'm saying. Did you expect it to be anywhere near as hard as it was? Did it go up and down? I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had that bit of experience. Well, right? I haven't told done anything at this scale. You know, it wasn't like a very short film or or for for fun entirely. Right, you know? right. So this is a first feature for me. So as an executive producer, you know, I was still like, I was sweeping sets and carrying like anything he would be doing, I'm doing. 
and I, like several people said to me like on the set they're like I've never been on something where the executive producer was like hauling lights and cables around right, right. well you have to pay someone to do that yeah, and, and well you're there already my money yeah but that also comes out like of the kind of tradition and culture that even source point was grown out of because source point press is grinder. is a grinder they're they're on the floor and it's not just representatives they're creators and you know, if you were at the booth this weekend, you'd see everybody there. Well, most of everybody there is uh, are people who you know have made those books on the table. Yeah. And SourcePoint does seventy plus shows a year. You know, so it's that kind of hard. You know, in the trenches grind. Yeah, and it's like stuff like this size all the way down to you know a library signing with a couple of authors. Yeah, so, so it makes sense that that you know everywhere. You know that way of doing things would bleed into a movie that you made, right? Yeah. So, but it was a big, it was a big production too. It was I mean, a big production. it was a, it was a sizable crew. You know what I would describe it like? It's like, uh, it's like starting a business with thirty-five full-time employees in one day. Yeah. Right. And so, it just starts and it's happening and it's like a disaster and everything's going wrong <laughs> and people like lose their temper and it's crazy. Uh, and like the first week, you're just terrified that some small thing is going to throw this train off the tracks and it's never going to end. And then after the first week, you realize it's like it turns into a boulder rolling down a hill. Right. And you're just like, we have to keep it in track. Like, right. Because it can so easily careen and start, you know, it's, it's just, it's like trying your best to control chaos. It's got to be, what, what was your first moment like showing up on set? It must have been a bit like, holy shit. It's <laughs> a big deal. <laughs> I showed up three days before the first day of principal photography. Um, and Brian had been out there for about two weeks doing pre-pro. And so we had rented this enormous old office building um, in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, each like room... So like the production offices were downstairs in a conference, old conference room, and uh, that we'd set up all the dressing rooms for people who were in offices, and the wardrobe was an office. And then we took the upstairs, like we, they had a hallway, like that became like the laboratories, and we built off we built sets right. in all these different rooms, like his bedroom, and so like essentially almost all of our locations were in this one big office building, that you know was just an unused. So we could gut it, we could paint the walls, we could build shit, we could add on, tear apart, right. whatever. So it was like a, a studio slash uh, business office. Yep. Right. We can show the trailer if you want. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So I get there about three days, and they've got a lot of the sets are built and ready to go, and you know they're they're it's a bunch of busy little bees, and we've and I show up, and we're like, okay, cool, and I meet. You know, all the people haven't met yet because, you know, we had only hired, uh, we hired, basically we hired experienced keys. So by keys, I mean, you know, key grip, our director, production designer, all your like department managers we yeah. hired. They were all professional hires, you know, LA, Hollywood guys and girls. And they came to Phoenix and then to, to fill out the crew, we hired um, mostly, there's two big film schools there, if I remember. Yes. Yep. And we hired people from film schools to fill out the rest of the crew. So, um, you know, so it became a, a teaching set, right? So you have like a couple of very experienced people and then a bunch of students, essentially. Um, and this was to, for budgetary purposes. Um, so a lot of chaos, a lot of people learning everything. And um, I suppose like the, the, my, the, my first impression that like, oh, this is gonna be a mess. <laughs> was uh, so 
We're supposed to start filming. Uh, the first scene is on the call sheet for noon on Friday. And on Thursday at about eight, I don't know, eight or nine o'clock in the morning, uh, relatively early, I get a call from SAG, which is the Screen Actors Guild. Um, so we have six SAG actors on this. And they tell me that the payroll company, so if you ever work with SAG, you have to pay your entire payroll up front. Um, so we have six actors from SAG, and they call me and they tell me that they will not work with the payroll company that we've hired. I'm like, okay, great, that's super convenient. Um, so it's like uh, $18,000. So I call the payroll company, I'm like, hey, we gotta change payroll company, really sorry, but they, you know, you're not SAG approved, we gotta get one that is SAG approved so that they'll process this. Payroll company is like, cool, it'll take six weeks to process getting your money back. I'm like, great. You know, so uh, I need to find a way. Also, in the film business, it's essentially like dealing with cavemen. No one <laughs> takes PayPal or like has a, the ability to take a credit card. It's like they want money, they want wire transfers or money orders. It's a, everything is a complete pain. They ask to pay anyone for anything. So I have to get a new payroll company and then completely fund the payroll for the six SAG actors or SAG will shut us down and we won't be able to run. Now this is Thursday morning. That's I don't have an extra 18,000 in cash because we've already put everything into everything that we need to make this thing happen. So uh, I ended up, uh, so I ended up taking one of my own credit cards and because I, you know, I've worked conventions and everything, so I pulled my own square out of my pocket. I swiped my own credit card to myself for $14,000. The next day, I go to the bank and I wire the 18 grand from my bank to the new payroll company, right, of this new 18 grand. And then on Monday, I was given a lifetime ban from Square for doing it. <laughs> so I can never have a Square account ever again. Because apparently that's something the money launderers do. <laughs> hey, I didn't get, know that. get her no. done. I didn't know that. I was just trying to figure out a way I could get 18 grand in cash by noon the next day so yeah, that we could film. I can't but imagine that was probably that kind like of pressure. my first experience of being like, this is going to be a little bit of a pain in the ass, more than I expected. Lord. So how does it feel, Dave, to see your work turned into that kind of work? So it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, the film's different. The film uh, was built a little differently, and uh, there was a screenplay to begin with, and then Brian, uh, the director, came in and uh, revised some of it, and we went back and forth with it. Uh, the film is far more out there and far more um, uh, irreverent and far bigger than the comic book, which is kind of different, right? So if you've seen, like, the, you know, The Avengers, that's a scaled-down version of what's in the comics. But this is an explosion of, of what was in the comics. So it really, uh, I think it was um, a fortuitous that we got some of the things we did and were able to do that. And I think the, probably the biggest boon on this was a couple of cast members, oh, yeah. like, like uh, Billy McNamara and Corin Nemec, um, who completely bought in to the ridiculousness that was here. And that is not something you have in, in the graphic novel. Uh, that You kind of just have my voice as filtered through an artist. And now, watching all this come to life with these these huge personalities taking on these different roles was it was a, a little bit of amazing and they're kind of the cohesiveness that brings it all together uh because it's as back end crazy as these things are 
when they get put together with these really big personalities, they're kind of that glue that keeps the narrative in. And it was, uh, it's, it was really amazing to see. Nice. That is, uh, that's pretty much what happened. Uh, in the <laughs> and story that's what happened. And now there, it exists, it's on Amazon. It's available on Amazon, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and you see we have it uh, on the table at pretty much any convention. Uh, in fact, it's a package deal these it days. It is, it is, you know, for uh, everyone in here, we have a special deal I'll tell you about later. If you really want to. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you right now. So, <laughs> usually they're like 25 and the books are like seven or whatever. We're doing 20 for both these guys if you want to get them both. And we'll sign them for you. And then we have another holiday sort of uh, uh, rip on here called Kringle, which is, uh, you I know, love the, I love I'm, the I'm wink winking, hoping, you know, this is the, I want an animated special of this. Oh, God. That would be fantastic. You know, <laughs> this thing. And you really make bad decisions, so there's <laughs> no reason why you shouldn't. I do make a lot of famously bad decisions. <laughs> uh, before we play the trailer, does anybody have any questions or things like that? Yes? Yeah. How nerd, um, you, when you were talking about like, dream and, you know, and stuff like that for, for the film, like, how nerve wracking is it? Is it still today? <laughs> still nerve wracking. <laughs> still every single day. <laughs> like, I would, like, I would imagine, like, the thought process, like, I'm going to put everything, you know, like, the, the thought process, uh, everything into it, you know? Like, I just... Yeah, I mean, so, uh, one, I am just not the sort of person who is that afraid of anything that's money-related. Um, and part of this is that I've lived an extremely privileged life, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, you know, I'm an upper middle class white person who grew up as an upper middle class white person and what? pretty much everything on my way, always. And so I just have, have been privileged enough to not have to be that afraid of like, oh, I lost all my money. I've always been like, well, I'll just make some more then, I suppose. That's not that big a deal. Um, and one of the things that has been nice about that is that it has allowed me to take chances on things like this um, to just, I don't know, just decide to do this or decide like I want to start a comic book publisher or I, I want to do this or I want to do that. Um, I, I guess I sort of look at it, look at it as um, It's a, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain how I feel about it, you know, because I, I did spend everything that I had, you know, like it completely like socioeconomically took me from here to here, you know. Um, but it's hard. For, I don't feel bad about it at all, you know. Like I'm glad it happened. I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't go back and not do it. It just feels like the sort of thing where it's like you're kind of like, I've lived a very privileged life, and I want to do something. To, I want to like have taken that privilege and like done something fucking cool with it, you know? Instead of just be like, yeah, I got a really gnarly 401k, you know? You should check it out, you know? I, the trailer for your 401k is so boring though. It's super <laughs> boring. Yeah. You, know, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, it all comes down to after when my first kid was born, right? So when my first son was born, um, I think a lot of people like get crushed with a sense of like responsibility 
you know, of like, oh, I've got a child. Like, I'm, I'm, what am I gonna do? I have to be super responsible. For me, it was almost the total opposite of that. Like, I, I remember very clearly, you know, like my first son was born, I'd like, I'm looking at him and he grabs a hold of my finger and like immediately for me, for the first time in my life, I was not the most important thing in my life. And suddenly I was able to not be such an arrogant fucking prick about everything in the world. And it didn't matter whether I succeeded or failed because the only thing I had to do from here on out is make sure that this thing is alive and fed and loved. And that's it. And I can do that at Walmart if I have to. Like I don't have to hold on to this job. I don't have to do any of this stuff. I don't have to save all this money. I don't have to have any of that. So for me, it was like extremely freeing to be like, oh, I'm not really that important and I'm not really that special and I'm super lucky to be in this position and I should be using that luck to try to make something to put out into the world as opposed to being like, what am I trying to make? I'm trying to make like my last few years as comfortable as possible. Who gives a shit, right? So it just like coalesced everything. And then <clears throat> unfortunately that all happened about the same time I met David. And, and this is what he put out in the world. Yeah, right? And so these noble ideas were turned into this. And also because I like I like stupid things, you know? I like things that are like, that tickle me. Or like, I'm just like, yeah. And almost everything he makes is so stupid. It's really stupid. <laughs> really, there's like, yeah. Yeah. Here, let's, let's show you how stupid Let's just show you how stupid, just how stupid it gets. Anyway, I, I don't know, I, hopefully all that made sense. That felt like a real, Like conversely, I, so I want to comment how really weird and unique it is to have someone who's going to put everything they owned behind this thing you did. And I panicked. <laughs> I mean, you were panicked. Like, I don't know if you should do that. Like, I, I, was, I, I was legit like, we should do something different. <laughs> like, this is, not the, this is not the thing to sink your life into. Because I didn't, you know, it's mine. And I didn't sink my life into it. Yeah. And yet he persists. <laughs> and so yeah, that's that. what's gonna be on my tombstone. It'll yet he like, persists. And yet, Travis persisted. And then you'll still like be alive. For better or worse, it would be that. You'd be living with the tombstone there. Like, yeah. look, I persisted. <laughs> all right? Yeah. Sorry in advance. That's all right. Not for you for that. No one in or out until Project MR is complete. I don't have any projects called MR. I can't really talk about it. Top secret. Find out how many more of these things they say. Yes, sir. Yes, goofy. And it's really gross.
Anyway, I like 80s, weird, goofball, low-budget, funny, and this is kind of all those things. And like I said, I was sort of, I got mentally in a place where I was like, I don't want to do the things I'm doing anymore because I suddenly realized I didn't have to. Uh, I suddenly realized I could do whatever I wanted. And if I wanted that to be own a publisher or make a movie, I could just do that. And so I did. And I'm very fortunate to have done so. I'm, I mean, I'm very lucky to have been in a position where, you know, I could put, drain a retirement account and max out credit cards to be able to do something like this. Like, plenty of people would be happy to take that chance. I just can't, you know? And so I feel like I'm out there being irresponsible for all those people. <laughs> You know? You're like irresponsible, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm out there ruining my wife's life for all of you who have to be decent. Yeah. Places. For the longest time, his wife blamed me for this. And I'm like, I told him no. I think but she still blames you a little. Probably. Yeah, but she still knows that you made all the bad decisions. So, yeah, it was a... That's was... probably the biggest negative is that, like, I am not allowed to make any films without running everything past her first. Because I did this, like, totally... I did, yeah, like you are like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it was very problematic. It was super problematic at the time, yeah. But, you know, it's working out. One thing led to another ish. Here we are. Yeah, I think, I think like you said, it did, it did do what it was supposed to do. It proved that uh, SourcePoint Press, as a very uh, smallish uh, publishing company, could make a movie. Um, it was uh, uh, another uh, comic book to film which you know we all know is incredibly popular right now and there's a lot of street cred you know even if no one sees it there's a lot of uh, street cred in the notion that this publisher has you know uh, done something so uh, not because of this but uh, coinciding with this SourcePoint Press uh, has uh, some licenses that we're dealing with with different comics um, and the Franklin and Ghost uh, animated series will be out pretty soon you know with uh, what's the, the Dragon Ball Z guy Sean Schemmel, Goku from Dragon Ball Z. Christopher Sabbath's in it. And uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton. So, uh, he, you know, the company's got an Academy Award winner. Before me. I mean, I thought I was be the first, but I'm never going to win again. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry about that. Awesome. Well, I think uh, unless anybody else has any, any more questions? questions or anything. I think that was a nice little tale, gentlemen. Thank oh, you very much. Nice. For, and we're at uh, booth 707, that, yeah. so come down Please and come by. Uh, I'll know all of you by face if you want to come get the deal because there's only one, one, two, seven of you. So all will be well. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming. We really, really, really yeah, do appreciate thank it. Thank you. And have safe trips home too, right? Cool. Okay. Have safe trips home, eh? Yeah, I'll get home over here. Okay, right?